Hello and welcome to the Evolve podcast with me, Simon Bocco, where I speak to entrepreneurs and business leaders to understand their journey to success. There are no one billion raises here or Instagram fakers, just real people having real conversations. I've learned a lot from these interviews and I hope you do too. Welcome to the very first episode of the Evolve podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by my first guest today, Emma Sexton. I mean, where do I start? A superwoman, really, I always see you as. So I've got here kind of CEO of brand design agency, Hands Down, founded the Inside Out Awards, which is a design awards for in-house design teams. You're an entrepreneur in residence and a lecturer at King's College. Uh, you used to have a talk show, I believe. I mean, the list goes on kind of where to start you kind of make me feel tired just just kind of looking at you often so if you could tell me a bit about yourself and kind of what you've been doing that'd be great thanks for that intro I always feel like when I do these things people are like oh you remember and you do all these things which I I feel like is not a really a badge of honor but at the same time they're all things I do enjoy doing but yes I have fundamentally I would say the majority of my time is spent running my brand design agency which is now called Hands Down formerly uh, MYWW so we basically have clients such as Google, YouTube, Silicon Valley Bank, Snapchat and we really work with them to do kind of like strategy right through to, to execution on the brands there. The awards are the UK's only awards for in-house creative teams. And they were actually a marketing initiative that I had when I set up my creative agency over eight years ago that just kind of ticked along. And then, you know, now they're sort of doing their own thing. And then the advisory role at, at Kings and Imperial is, for me, I find it actually, I learn a lot from that. I feel like that's a way of me just really keeping it in in touch with the world i advise all their early stage startups on branding and creativity and their pitch decks their storytelling but for me you know entrepreneurship at that level is just so exciting because it's always people solving the next new problem or looking at trends so dealing with quantum computing to vegan ice cream so that's amazing and then that is it i don't do anything else i did used to have a radio show that was just a wild thing that happened i went with it but i jumped off that train last year so i'm very focused on being the best entrepreneur that I can, to be honest with you, Simon. And how do all these things come about then? So obviously, it's all in the same kind of place, but but still eclectic at a degree. So I guess it would be interesting to understand, A, where they come from, but B, I guess kind of the reasons why that you do this kind of broad range of different things. I think it really comes from, you know, I didn't start my like, I don't know, free ranger journey until I was 37. So I spent a long time employed going on a kind of career path. I went from being a a designer to a creative director. And then I took some roles, three roles in-house over about five years where, and they were very sort of transformation pieces really. And I'd noticed some sort of patterns and themes. I then launched my own business because I just always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'd always want to have my own business. There always just seemed to be lots of barriers. Probably the biggest barrier was just my fear of doing it, (laughs) really. And, you know, there was always an excuse in my head. I was like, well, you know, if I could just get to this and if I could just get to this level, then I'll know how to run a business. And, And what no one tells you when you'll know this, Simon, is like, doesn't matter when you start a business, you're never going to have the experience until you've run a business. So you might as well, I could have started 10 years earlier. Yeah, I wish I did. I always think think about that. It's like, uh, I should have done it so much. I had no idea what I was doing at 26, but then I had no idea what I was doing at 30. So I might as well have started at 26. I feel the same. And then also I feel like, you know, it's a 10 year game, you know, like with any other career that I've ever had, it's taken me, you know, it takes a good 10 years to really go from a, you know, a junior designer to a 
decent senior creative and I feel like it's taking you know I'm nine years in now and I feel like only now am I really understanding business in a way that I can really leverage it now and really understand what I'm doing so I mean a lot of the reason I do lots of stuff is basically you know I, I set up my own business and I kind of went a bit wild for about a few years really I'd come out of a long-term relationship I was really heartbroken. I was free to do anything that I could do, which was such an amazing feeling having been an, an employee. And I just started to create things. And I, I really do feel like my first three years of starting a business were not really about the business. It was about this freedom and about this channeling my creativity through entrepreneurship and starting things. I guess five years ago, I was doing even more than I'm doing now. And a lot of that was driven by just being a bit sad really and rather be busy creating things than actually sit around and being miserable but I guess now everything I'm much more focused I'm much more focused in to what end why am I doing these things how do I get them to all feed in so everything I'm doing now there is an ecosystem actually there is a purpose behind all of my actions and now and stepping out of the radio show last year was sort of like my final like no more messing around Emma (laughs) because you can't actually build things when you are all over things so I'm very focused now I think one of the things that you that you touched on there which I think is is quite interesting and it's been a reoccurring theme on this podcast and something I like to talk about is around the time in which it takes for it to almost click for you to get it I think there's a lot of things out there where people there's this perception that you set up yesterday tomorrow you've got 10 million pounds and then the next week you've got a billion and then and you've got the next Facebook and I try and during this when we're talking to kind of real business owners rather than these uh, kind of social media pretenders that kind of the real reality of it so talk to me a bit about the the journey and that kind of cause very similar for me you know I, I thought I got it for a long time and then there's one day where it's almost it's clicked and you get that kind of hockey stick where you've got a certain amount of growth, then it suddenly clicks and then it's like a rocket to the moon. And it sounds something kind of similar to you and it'd be good to understand more about that. I think that the toughest nut for me to crack actually was about sales and marketing. You know, maybe I've gone around this a longer way. You know, I was a designer by trade. You don't get taught anything about business at, you know, design school. Even as a designer, I mean, I did an MA in design management when I was 27 part time. And that definitely gave me some business acumen, definitely gave me a different understanding. Up until then, I was like, make it look pretty brigade didn't really understand. I did a lot around leadership when I was employed. So I felt like creating a culture, leading a team came very natural to me. I'd had a good five or six years really being able to, probably longer actually, crafting my leadership skills. And I'd always been very interested and passionate about people. So that wasn't a problem. And I think it was, the biggest gap for me was the sales and marketing. And I think the past two to three years, I could see that that was a problem. I I really systematized the business, put the foundations in for growth. Like I'd done all of that. And then I got to the point and I was like, the weakest link really here is just to constantly have revenue coming in. And I hadn't cracked that. We were still a project by project basis. And then I've spent the past couple of years really learning how to be a sales and marketing person. It is literally, for me, it's like doing a whole nother career and then understanding what my business needs, what's going to work for us, what's going to work for me. How do I become an authentic seller, not a hard seller? And that is really starting to pay off now. Don't get me wrong. I still feel like I've got a lot to learn, but I feel like compared to two years ago and also it's showing in the business now our pipeline of work 
but it's, it's hard. I feel like for two years I've been cramming sales and marketing, speaking to people. Like you're, you're fast tracking a whole new career. But for me, that was that was the that was the blocker for the business for a long time, and I don't think I really realised it. But now I do, and also now I'm a better salesperson. So with the awards, the awards had all always just ticked along. You know, they weren't really a. I don't really know what they were. They were sort of a passion project that I sort of professionalized a couple of years ago and got someone on board to run them. But this year in January, we actually implemented a strategy. And what's really interesting is having a business that wasn't complex and hadn't already got some stuff in it like my agency had. It was a completely like bare minimum business. We've put a strategy in place. Well, I put a strategy in place. I've got someone to implement it. Six months in, it's having a massive impact. And I was like, okay. I really do get this now. I understand the business ecosystem. I know and I understand the sales and marketing and how that pulls people in and how we turn that into revenue. So that was a really interesting experiment of like testing my business acumen and can I put a strategy in place for something and it's and it's working. So I feel like I'm getting there. But you know what it's like, Simon, you, you've just never done on this journey, never. Yeah, well, I think though it's interesting is I think when you run your own business, you I often look at business owners or entrepreneurs and, and they could get a job as a director in a multiple disciplines. You know, they could be an operations director. They could be, in your case, obviously a creative director. They could be a director of a strategy or commercial because you have to cover so many skills. And I think it's an interesting point you make there where almost we were the reverse. So I was naturally quite good at selling. And so I had the kind of that bit, then you need to become a really solid subject matter expert, you know, that you understand different industries, you fully understand your trade, you know, so I think with any business, you're going to need those two elements. And I think, as you pointed out, if you can get that in the founder, and people by people, that will naturally unlock more business, because you've got both the depth in specialism and understanding, but also the depth in the ability to bring that passion and that offer and that kind of positioning to market so people understand it. So actually what you're saying, Simon, is if we'd have gone into business a few years ago, that maybe we'd both be more successful than we are now. Because that was my next thing <laughs> I was going to say is, uh, did you ever, ever think about rather than training yourself to do it, you could have just hired someone or bought one in or someone in or partnered up and almost brought in a subject matter expert in the bit that you were not good at? Yes. And I do look back at that and I've definitely bootstrapped and I bootstrapped hard, really hard. But at the same time, I think I didn't have, I had no business acumen. So actually I wouldn't have known who to hire to do the bits where now I do. So now, you know, cause I often, you know, when I'm sort of advising startups, you know, in the first two or three years, if somebody had slung me the amount of money that some of these early stage founders get slung when they go on on that investor route, to be honest, I would not have spent that in the right places. I know, I know where I wanted to have the money. Now you give me that money, I would double it, treble it. Like I know exactly where to invest in it and I know what I need and how to turn that around. So in some ways, yes, but actually I kind of feel like where I'm at now, I can now leverage all that knowledge. But yeah, I've probably done it the hard way. That's likely with me. <laughs> I think I think it is what it is. I think, like you said, those pieces need to come into play. You've almost completed the yeah. jigsaw, as it were, and metaphorically. And it's like, okay, I've got a base now, and I can build on something. And I think, uh, you know, if there's a lack of understanding, or you know, you can't be a superstar and be absolutely brilliant at everything. But I think almost there are kind of pre 
disposed or, or, or certain disciplines which you must have a certain level of proficiency in in order to then understand how you scale a business. I think the other interesting point is I think it's very easy to have a, a one-person almost permalancer or permalancer plus a few people. It's that tipping point where you say, right, I've got five people on staff, I've got an office or a co-working space, I've got a team of freelancers. You need to have that ability to scale that operationally, scale that as an offer and scale that as a discipline. And I think you, you've got to have those three pillars. I think otherwise you're going to struggle, and whether that's in two people or one person or five people or whatever. Yeah, totally. But I think also for me, you know, I've, I really enjoy business. I, I am a total business geek and entrepreneur. So in a way, there's been a bit about me actually wanting to, wanting to learn about it, wanting to understand it. You know, I feel like if I had just delegated it out, would I have the same understanding? I don't know. I've I've, en- I've enjoyed it as t- as hard as it's been. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think there's a personal lot. development, though, isn't there? You kind of investing in yourself as well, which I think is kind of yeah. really important. You know, rather than saying I'm going to contract that out and, and never learn it. And I feel like now I can contract things out. You know, like I found someone. She's the MD for the awards, and she's absolutely brilliant. But I know exactly what you know, I needed there and I was able to identify the right person. And then I knew the strategy and what she needs to put in place. So it's actually, I think it's making business easier for me now, even though it hasn't been in the past, because I know what to put money into. I know what's going to work, what's not going to work. So I'm interested to see the next few years, whether this will all pay off or whether I'll just be like, I'm done. I'm tired. (laughs) Well, we'll see. I don't think so. I think you've just got probably similar to me that kind of restlessness you know I, I always talk about retirement and everyone goes to me but you're not actually going to retire are you? it's like no my my idea of retirement is having is being comfortable so I can do 10 other things with less pressure <laughs> you know <it's- laughs> yes without the pressure of making the revenue that's yeah. that's the only thing I would take away from what I'm doing right now is that constant pressure of where's the revenue where's the revenue how am I paying salaries where's that coming in that if I could take that away that's all I want financial freedom really Definitely hear that. And I think it's interesting, I guess you mentioned about this kind of need to channel your creativity. And we kind of may, like at the beginning, I think I've got a five-year-old, right? And, and uh, I'm trying to explain to her like all the jobs that you can do, you know, and she doesn't realise that like you could be a professional football player, you know, that, because that doesn't seem like a job that seems like a hobby. But, you know, she talks, she looks at people who draw and you could be a professional, obviously creative. You can go down a creative route and yeah. in, in many ways you could be, uh, film director you could produce animation you could be a designer so was there a point in your life where it was a tipping point between I'm a creative person and I could do this as a job do you know what I'm not sure I really feel like from a very young age like probably 11 or 12 I just knew I wanted to do graphic design I knew I wanted to do logos for businesses I don't know I don't even know where that came from and I think, you know, I used to enter competitions at school, like design a poster. I did a logo for a ski school trip that got printed on everybody's jumpers at school. You know, I designed the front cover for our school play at the end of our GCSEs. Like, I don't know, I was just very focused on on that. That was that was it, really. I didn't really explore anything else. And actually, I was very dogmatic about it. And I don't really know why. It just was very decisive in my head. It found you rather than you found it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just absolutely didn't contemplate anything else. I was just doing it. That's what I was doing. And how how did that work when it came to schooling? Because I know uh, I've got friends who, 
they they go down a more I guess kind of vocational route, and so then suddenly they're not interested in the English and the maths and the science. It's interesting. I, I used to work at an agency and having a chat, and then the the executive creative director bombed out of school and got expelled. I think the creative director was something pretty similar. It, not to say that you're all rebels and stuff, but obviously you know sometimes you can get bogged down on things that you're not that interested in and the things you really want to do is like you say do a cool logo to go on a jumper was that something for you or did you still have that kind of academic piece as well uh no I mean I've got to say I did not thrive at school I really struggled at school and I realize now obviously they understand different learning styles and I didn't really mediocre in my GCSEs like really mediocre I don't even think I got that good a grade for art and design really in the end I think I've got a C. Like, where C is shockingly bad, really, isn't it? You know? Somebody does it for a um, living. Yeah, exactly. And then I went to college and did like a foundation course. I did a couple of foundation courses. That's right. Just to kind of test my parents were a bit like, look, before you start dedicating your whole focus, why don't you just do a couple of courses? Do some work experience. My dad forced me to do work experience in my school holidays. He's like, you're not sitting around doing nothing. Phone up some graphic design agencies go and do a week's work experience. And reluctantly, I kind of did that too. And then I looked at doing what was an HND at the time, which was a, um, it wasn't a degree, but it was much more like industry based. And I had a tour around my local college because I wasn't sure if I wanted to go away to uni. I wasn't really bothered about doing that. And they said, oh, and this is the computer room. And I've been doing all this work experience at local agencies and they all had Apple Macs. Apple Macs had just come out. They were all, I just sat there watching them on the Apple Macs most of the day. And then I go into this college and they're like, oh, so we've got, you know, 200 PCs and then we've got five Apple Macs in the corner. And I just thought, hang on a minute, I'm not going to spend three years here on a PC when all the agencies in my hometown are using Apple Macs. So I basically got a job as a junior and didn't go to uni. And then I realized when I was out to work that actually I really thrived at work and I really excelled. I was really ambitious, committed, motivated, driven in a way I'd never been at school. And it really excited me because I just was like, I'm a bit sick, work's really boring. And I was suddenly energized to the max. And I think from that point, from my first job, I've just been so motivated, so motivated. Yeah, I think it's such a common theme. I mean, for me, a degree was the thing in the way that I had to get in order to get a job. It was like the, <laughs> the entry exam was the degree. So it was 2-1 from a decent university or don't even talk to us. You know, that, that was right, the thing. Yeah. And, and so it's almost like, God, I've got to go and get one of these. I'm not interested in it, but no one, I can't get the job that I want without it. You know, and I think perhaps now yeah. I'm, I'm not so in touch with it, but I think things have changed now. And I think that there is a kind of slightly more diversified in the sense of there are more routes into any work, but also agency. I don't think you necessarily have to have that prerequisite to one from Redbrick University, kind of that, that big barrier. No, I don't think so. I think any businesses that are still doing that now, which is interesting because I did work for a company and they were, you know, extremely good on their hiring, but I needed to hire some people and they were like, well, we can't hire these people because they don't have a degree. And I was like, well, I don't have a degree. I mean, I know I did have an MA, but like I, you hired me without really that academic background as such so you know I didn't want to my hiring to be restricted because of this policy that I thought was totally nonsense especially when it comes to the creative industries but you know I think there's there's value in all of that but I don't think it should just be that's the only way you can you can enter and I think I'm testament to that really I just like if if, if I hit a wall I'm like okay can I go over it can I go around it can I do something like I, there's not there's no stopping me I won't 
I would have got there one way or another. Talk to me about, I guess, something that we've spoken a lot about, which is kind of a reoccurring theme. And something I suffer from is this this concept of imposter syndrome. You know, I think, you know, even me doing this podcast, for example, you know, it feels really really strange and I've had a number of people kind of desperate to listen to it can you send one can you send one but for me personally it feels odd that someone wants to listen to what I'm doing right so but I think in terms of what you do it's so broad you know there's almost the risk of getting way too deep way too early it's lots of things out of your comfort zone you know so it'd be interesting how that kind of journey and I remember I was talking to someone who's on my previous podcast and saying oh, I've got over my imposter syndrome I've done all of these things and she cut me down straight away and said you've still got it because <laughs> it, it was like not the things that I thought were good were still not high enough if you see what I mean and it, it's kind of interesting kind of your take on that it's interesting I, I must admit I mean don't get me wrong I think we're always personally I am always pushing myself out of my comfort zone if I'm not uncomfortable if I'm not feeling imposter syndrome then I'm not in the right place I almost see it as a, as a positive, really. I think it's managing it so it doesn't actually stop you and kind of get in your way. I must admit the the worst my imposter syndrome has ever been was when I had the radio show. And I did feel like an imposter and I genuinely was an imposter. Like I was nobody who'd never had a, a plan. Everything I've done in my life, I've kind of planned to be here and I've worked hard and that's been my ambition and my goal. So I think there's a there's an element of my imposter syndrome that's actually, no, shut up. You've worked hard to get here. You've put the time in. But the radio show, I hadn't. It was a a random thing. And there were people that I was working with, like our producer behind the scenes, desperate to have a radio show, desperate to, you know, to have their own radio show and be a presenter. And I really struggled with that because I was like, I've had no training. I'm literally rocking up. I'm just chit-chatting. That was the worst my imposter syndrome's ever been, actually, doing that. And it was kind of nice to quit the show because it didn't really end. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I think there was quite a nice relief of like, actually, I'm showing up every week doing this thing. And I just feel like I shouldn't be there. I haven't worked. I felt, I think for me, it was like, I haven't worked to be here, even though in a way I had, you know, I'd crafted my skills in terms of being able to confidently present and speak and communicate, but it just felt, and you know, we, we'd really hustled to get that. Like I, I had done the work to be there, but now, yeah, I want to be out of my comfort zone. I want to fit. I want to look at other people and, and look at them and think that they're doing better than me because I want to be inspired by them. I want to see what the benchmark is to keep pushing myself on. Like I'm never going to be done. I don't want to be done. But I think that that's the kind of lesson for lots of people is the invite to the show and the fact that they want you on there. And at no point does someone tap you on the shoulder and go, Emma, you're not too good at this. I think we're going to uh, we're going to we're going to cancel it. Is a, a reinforcement that you've earned your right to be there because otherwise you wouldn't have been invited. And if you suck, they would have kicked you off within minutes. Do you know what I mean? And so, but it's a strange thing, isn't it? It's like you, you you're still yeah. waiting for that tap on the shoulder from the producer or whatever to say you've got six people listening to this. No one's interested. I think we're going to change it up. Yeah, and it's it's true. And I must admit, every week I turned up to that show, and every week I thought it was my last show. Every week. I know, such a, but that's the thing is that's why, and, and again, an interesting thing you talk about is around um, mentorship and you know the importance of having interesting people kind of around you and people supporting you. Because I would say to you, like, you're a brilliant speaker. I'd love to listen to you on that show, you know. And whether that helps or not, I don't know the answer. But I always find it really strange that you would say something like that, and you probably would say the same for me, and I'd have exactly the same reaction. But I, I don't know if whether that helps or not, but. Well, I think we never we never see ourselves as us others see, do they? And I think I realised that over the years, my 
bench level of brilliance or, you know, you know, we've got an amazing planet full of incredible human beings. And I just feel like there's always somebody there to aspire to, isn't there? There's always somebody to the next level. And I think that that's and what I really love. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned a lot over the years. Like when you look at psychology and you look at mindset as well is within reason, I can become anybody I want to become. Don't get me wrong. I'm probably not going to be an Olympic athlete or, you know, a gymnast. But in terms of of my realm and what I'm interested in, what's going to stop me having a really successful agency? Nothing apart from me and me not changing, evolving, shaping, learning myself to kind of get there. And I think that that's a really, for me, that's a really powerful thing. Like I'm really, I'm enjoying that. I think it's a privilege to be able to be, in a space where I can do that. And I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to waste a day of my life, not seeing what I could become next. I just never want to stop evolving and learning and changing. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the kind of, in in lots of people, isn't it? And I think if you were to put a bunch of ingredients in a bowl of, of like the secret to success, I think you need to have that kind of sense of this restlessness and this constant evolution and this kind of need for more, like, you shouldn't be content sitting around watching the TV the whole time and six hours on Instagram a day because you're not going to go anywhere. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's, and also it sounds like when you hit that lucky point where it doesn't feel like work anymore. It's like, I ha- I haven't had a day for, since I started my business where I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, and I think that's really important. Yeah. It sounds like the same for you. Don't make me wrong. I have had days where I haven't wanted to get out of bed. Uh, they've definitely been some tough Give times. I'm not going <laughs> to... I wasn't too many drinks. No, I don't really drink. It's, you know, there's been really tough times. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to doubt that. But I think, I think the restlessness is almost like a blessing and a curse, right? I I love it because I love, you know, looking back on me even two years ago and what I was doing and how I was thinking or, or showing up versus now is really interesting. But at the same time, there is a bit of me sometimes it's like, actually, can you just sit around and do nothing and yeah, can you just be on Instagram six hours a day? Like, and I can do that for a week. And then I'm like, right, next. Let's go, let's go, let's go. So I don't know. Maybe I've got some kind of ADHD or something, but. I, I always think about that. It is I, what it is. Then if it's clinical, I just think it's kind of a, just an inherent, you know, my wife. I'm just happy. Like I do things like I just start walking around the house and I just get fed up and say, I'm going to go out for a drive. And she's like, what? And it's like 10 yeah. o'clock at night. And I'm like, yeah. Just got to do something. Yeah, like collect some thoughts and. But but I think that there's a great energy that comes from you know, and you'll know this too. Like I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some days I'm doing stuff I don't want to do, but in all the bigger picture, I am doing exactly what I want to do. Everything is on my terms, and it's like it's energizing, like to have that freedom of choice. And and for somebody who was employed for so long. And remembers that daily battle, you know, going into an office or working for somebody else, executing somebody else's strategy. Like, I never take this freedom for granted, you know, like, it's great. I'm I'm thriving. It really works for me. It doesn't work for everybody, but it really works for me. And one thing I think is interesting to get to get get your thoughts on is, uh, I think a lot of the creative process and a lot of creativity I'm finding now is starting to get kind of commoditized and starting to turn a bit too much in... To production which I find quite sad I remember there was a time when we were all seen as artists I remember I uh, I worked on a, a project where there was a big glossy ad in a magazine all my friends would read every single word of it they'd look at all of it and they'd say how great it was and they're almost in awe of these 
artists that produced amazing work and great concepts that went in magazines and newspapers that were read by millions of people. And obviously, as things have gone on with the internet, it's like, I need 17 banners in 16 languages, go. And so... And I, but I think that there's there's this kind of this spot which I think that that, that you and, and your team is occupying and, and I think gets me excited is you know a proper creative process with you know really well thought out creative that works across multiple different things it's distinct there's a craft to it you didn't make it in in thirty minutes and then on to the next thing and I think it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on you know how the creative industry has changed and where you see the opportunity now kind of bringing like you said kind of lots of disciplines together yeah interesting I've got quite a lot of thoughts on this I think one there's a real challenge in terms of in the olden days and I talk about the olden days you know when I was starting out as well you know you're talking say 20 years ago I'm 45 so I started work when I was 20 like 19 20 at that time how I learned my craft as a graphic designer was I was in an agency there was no real internet. We were just starting to have email. I learned my craft from being around other designers, them critiquing my work, surrounding myself, reading all the books, all of that stuff, right? So I was nurturing my eye for detail and the stuff that I was looking at wasn't accessible to everybody, you know? Now, fast forward that 20 years time, I think my mum's probably got a really refined eye for design because she's looking at her smartphone every day, you know? So I think that there's a different level of design and aesthetic and expectation that we have in society because of technology now and because you can't send wonky decks anymore. 20 years ago, the shocking PowerPoint decks, you know, you just can't do that now. We, we understand as well visuals. Digital has, has given us a whole load of data. So we really understand design now and creativity and visuals and perception and all of that. I think the creative industries... One, nobody's been taught business skills whatsoever. The majority of the creative industry are the make it look pretty brigade, and they are. And, you know, I might get some pushback on that, but I don't care because I've been the make it pretty look brigade and I work with people all the time. You know, we have freelance creative talent and our thing is all about that strategy and that thinking. And it's very, very hard for people to do that. So there's a whole thing where for a while, the creative industries, the ad industries, they were all the tastemakers, right? They really were. They really did hold the lock and keys because we couldn't really access this stuff. And now I don't think they do. And what they're missing is they don't really understand their clients' need. They don't understand the business acumen. So there is creative that doesn't match. There's frustration around the creative because clients know what they want. Clients' eye for detail level of understanding of creativity is much higher now as well. And there's a mismatch. And I just feel like the creative industries haven't really acknowledged that and, they, and they're and they not really doing anything about it. You know, there's an agency out there today, they are very successful, but they're very dogmatic. It's our idea or nothing, where my philosophy is, we can have the best idea in the world, but there's a whole world of complexity going on in your business that's going to affect that creative and we need to collaborate with you to get there. So I think that's for me that's a big that's a big one, and I think that causes a lot of problems. And it means that people really undervalue what agencies are doing because agencies can't sell the work in in, in a business context either. So that's a big one for me. Because I remember about ten years ago, I had a friend who's designer, and I was doing copy lots of copywriting at the time. And he said, "I hate to do what you do because 
everyone can write, but not not everyone can design. And there was tools in the way that were inaccessible, right? And and that is a danger. You get people that think, oh, I can write. Of course you write, you're writing emails, whatever. But there's a, a skill to copywriting or writing in the voice of a brand. But, but there was almost a barrier, which was because I can't use InDesign or all of, the, all of those similar things, you know, realistically, you're never going to produce a decent design hacking it together from PowerPoint. It's going to be embarrassing, right? Obviously, as time's gone on, those tools have become more accessible. Are you, are you seeing people that go, can you make it a bit like this or one of these or I've designed one of these myself? Are you seeing that now or not? Yeah, I think you're always going to get that. And and look, in a way, you know, when I'm working with the, the guys at Kings and Imperial, they've got no budgets. They need to hack a brand. But I think what I'm seeing is, you know, nodding back to what you were saying about being an artist, doing this great, great creative. Now brands are producing so much content. Actually, what really matters is the brand and the brand story. Because that's really what people are, are buying and buying into. And that leads to interesting creative across other channels. So I think there's a whole shift now about brand. I would say the brand purpose and the storytelling around that copy, I think copy is actually more important than the, the design. You know, I am a design advocate. You can totally really leverage design if you're a business in terms of how you manage and influence people's perception like it definitely adds a fantastic layer but you know you look at look at some brands um i don't know if you look at like google for instance for a long time awful branding they had a very clear purpose they knew what they did every interaction you had with google was great was positive you build an emotional connection you know and now their branding's caught up with that but the branding didn't get in the way of them being a successful business so i think for me, it is all about the brand now. We're in a global world. No one is ever going to be unique at what they do, even though people constantly try and be the only person with that idea. Just not going to happen. Your brand will always be unique. The way that you show up in the world will always be unique. And that's where I think the creativity needs to come from now. Yeah, there's always that there used to be that test, isn't it? You'd, you'd have an ad and you put your hand over the logo and say, whose is this? You know, and, and uh that was something I, I guess people still do you know they aspire to isn't it it's and it happens a lot in fashion I think it's it's so pinned down it's in it and it's so well done and tight in the way that it's delivered that no matter what you see in any medium anywhere you'll know that's Burberry or you'll know that's Ralph Lauren mm-hmm. or whatever down to the models the colors you name it and and I, I try and I'm conscious of it's been fascinating. It's one of those things I could talk to you for probably about six hours. But <laughs> so, but in terms of, I like to kind of end all of these on on the kind of future. Where do you see the kind of future for for your, for your industry in kind of creative? And you touched on purpose, and you touched on brand, and, and totally agree. Where, where can you kind of see that that kind of heading, and and where kind of businesses can be successful in the future? I would love to see design and creativity to just feel like any other function of the business. I feel like it's one area of the business. You know, when I, when I work with startups, even, you know, setting up my own business, it's like you can hack nearly every other thing until you have the money to invest in it, right? It's very accessible. There's loads of knowledge out there. All the business books out there, this is how to start up a business. These are all the things you need. None of them cover design and creativity, it's like design and creativity is still this is either this mystical magical thing or it's the design thinking model that just looks like something that perhaps Deloitte or Accenture have given you that just looks like you need an academic career to understand it's not that hard but it is 
different. And I think for me personally, I really want to democratize design and creativity. It's always been part of my thing. It's why I like to do this stuff at King's is, you know, I like to show them how they can hack design and creativity. Like that to me is where our industry needs to go because clients are starting to get it. And, you know, we're seeing this rise within house creative teams now because they're bored of going to these companies that are all a bit smoke and mirrors, charging them a lot of money, presenting them with an idea and going, ta-da, we know all the answers. And the client going, this doesn't feel right. It's not right. But I don't know why it's not right because no one understands this, this thing. So for me, I think designers have got to understand business. Agencies have got to understand business. They've got to understand their clients in a completely different way or they're just going to be outdone by in-house. That's probably an extreme statement. We probably won't get there, but well, I think definitely... there's a kind of morphing of that. And we, we had a time where the marketer wasn't even really on the board. There was no chief marketing officer. They were the ones that were kind of kept out because it was all about HR and finance and operations. And, and maybe I think what you, you, you've kind of touched on there, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, there's a chief creative officer that sits on your board that looks at visual design and how you want to communicate things. So it's all well and good we're talking about purpose, mission, mission and values. But in terms of the way that that comes across, if that isn't delivering yeah. on that mission purpose, you, you know, you're not really following through. It almost feels fake. You know, it's just words on a page. You know, you need to follow it through at every single touch point of that brand and every single interaction from when you're on the phone to something you pick up that's physical to your web and so on. So I think that's quite yeah. an interesting idea. And you need to be really clear about who your brand is as a person to do that. Because, you know, the vision, mission and values isn't enough. You know, they're good. They're your starting point. And the values are great in terms of driving behavior. But what's your style? Like, if you were to personify your brand, that's what I'm really interested in. And I think as an agency, that's something that we do a lot with clients is we really do think about their brand as a person and try and codify it. And it makes a difference because then you know how to creatively storytell you know yeah it it then opens up a whole world of being really creative in lots of ways it isn't just doing let's do a big ad campaign you know it could just be a really great line of copy on that email newsletter that you're sending but to be distinctive you really need to have a really good brand and know your brand yeah and I think also within each each of those things there's almost like levels and dials isn't there so sometimes I'm premium you know, premium isn't, there's only, there's not like one way to do premium and it's like get the black and white out. Exactly. You know, there's, there's, yeah, there's multiple different ways to interpret the word premium or, or high end, you know. Totally. Already I'm like, are you Fortnum and Mason or are you Taste of Difference at Sainsbury's? Like both of those are premium, but they're yeah. totally premium in very different ways. So yeah, it's all of that stuff, which actually really fascinates me. I think it's really interesting. And, and I love the creativity that comes when you get really clear with a client about who their brand is because they do know they just never had to really articulate it in a way before yeah fascinating i think uh if anyone out there is listening cannot recommend ever enough i think probably Thanks. lots of people listening will be as excited as i am about the prospect of where she and her team can take your business creatively uh so if that's something you're interested in by all means i'm sure you wouldn't mind someone reaching out to you on linkedin and also again as part of your superwoman you're very active on social so i'm sure people will see you around i don't know again i don't know where you get all the time from i think maybe you've um i'm showing my age now i've entered bernard's clock where you can kind of freeze time and send out seven i don't have kids simon that's the secret don't have kids be child free you can do all the things you want to do you get to have some sleep (laughs) as well which i probably haven't had 
<laughs> exactly. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for the time today. And that wraps up another episode of the Evolve podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please subscribe through your usual podcast app, leave a review and share with others. Also, if you'd like to know more about my business, which shares the same name as this podcast, please visit goevolve.co.uk. And remember, in business, you never stop evolving. Thanks very much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>